Hello and welcome to World of Oil Derivatives, where we break down the latest news and analysis impacting the oil swaps market. I'm Greg Newman, the CEO of Onyx Capital Group, and today I'm going to do a slightly different episode in that it's just going to be myself talking. But in such an interesting market, there's plenty to talk about. I'm going to firstly discuss the latest headlines and their impact on oil. I'm going to go into quite a lot of detail of the general market dynamics and the kind of domino impacts uh, lately that spread and created the environment we have right now. I also want to touch on some thoughts going forward, in particular the changes to the data Brent contract, uh, but also the general financial system that we operate under right now. As always, I just want to start with breaking down the kind of key headlines. And the most recent ones uh, is mainly around, of course, the war in Ukraine, uh, but also uh, OPEC. So the latest uh, moves from governments have been to uh, pressure uh, more of uh, the Russian situation with their oil supply and gas supply and, and the rest of it. But actually, uh, they come at a bit of a lockerheads when we talk about the oil restrictions. Uh, I think it's becoming clearer to everyone that just removing completely the oil would actually be a considerable shock that's a lot more understood. Because essentially what happened once we had the beginning of this crisis was a lot of talk, a lot of talk of self-sanctioning, but actually if you look at the flows, not a hell of a lot has changed. And actually, if it was to have abruptly changed, we would have had a very different uh, market indeed. So going forward, uh, OPEC have made it very clear to the EU as of Monday that this would be a considerable uh, event if they were to follow through on their plans to completely block oil imports. The latest reports indicate around a drop from 40% of their imports to 25%, rough estimates, but completely eliminating it would have uh, a lot of ramifications. So that's actually quite evident in the market sentiment, I would say. So on the one hand, if you're taking a look at the market, uh, it's come off from the highs quite considerably on the crude futures down to you know, just about $100 per barrel, dipping slightly below on Brent futures. But uh, the retracement uh, lately and also the kind of prevailing market sentiment from market discussions and what people are saying is that it's still a market that is quite edgy and quite nervous, which makes sense because these kind of discussions around blanket uh, sanctions and blanket removals of, of flows, given that it's a lot more understood and given that it's still a possibility that it could happen, it's very difficult to say that the market's quotation marks, you know, return to normal even though the prices are kind of dictating that. So what that looks like in the market is kind of still lower volumes, still much, not much risk taken on. And I think you can, you can to some extent uh, be sympathetic with that because it's a kind of fool me twice situation. When we were on the way down, you know, a lot of people were not expecting that, right? At the end of the day, this was quite a binary bullish um, event and uh, for it to go all the way down in that kind of scenario. And yes, again, that's kind of more a bit, bit more understood now, given um, all the moves from the exchanges and the regulators, it was still not a logical kind of event in terms of supply and demand versus price. I mean, the supply deficit was obvious that we were already in a tight market. So how does a market fall down, you know, $20, $30 per barrel? It's very, very unlikely that we didn't see quite considerable losses on that to the extent where 
we think that even the gains made at the beginning of the year and maybe the back end of last year were eroded by the latest move all the way down and this kind of acceptance from the market that the oil market's not going to follow through for the time being in terms of price. So when you're faced with a situation where it could all kick off again, well, to be honest, I don't know many traders who would want to stake their, their own capital, their, their drawdowns on, on this move up again because they've been burnt once before in a seemingly illogical way. So it might seem very logical that there's a lot of risk towards the upside, but I certainly think from a speculative point of view, uh, that's, that's not going to be, you're not going to see the commitment that we did at the beginning of the year. So that follows on with another headline um, from, well, uh, a press conference with Putin that ultimately seems like it's doubling down on, on the war and to some extent. Um, there has been, okay, talk about moving towards Donbass region instead of the whole of Ukraine, but ultimately the, any, anything that comes out of this that says that the talks are at a dead end, like you said, you know, that only really spells escalation. So again, EU are trying to put more pressure on him via the idea of cutting uh, completely imports, but equally he's saying quite openly that he doesn't, essentially doesn't think that the EU will follow through and they're going to be under a lot of pressure with inflation and the rest of it. So that all spells escalation and, and people not backing down. So from a geopolitical stance, you would have to say that is, of course, putting pressure from a sentiment point of view towards the upside for oil. But as I just said, I just don't think you're going to get the uh, commitment from the speculative traders um, who don't want to get burnt again. So, uh, yeah, we are in a situation now that if you combine those two kind of uh, big headlines versus what the market dynamics are, uh, it's not to say that the market still can't be strong and can't be reflected in the prices. But at the same time, you have a high oil price that needs to be locked in in some respect uh, from the producer side. You know, we, we've been talking high prices pretty much the whole of 2022. And, uh, you know, evidently it can't go on forever. And uh, I think producers are aware of that. Whilst they might have believed very much in the bullish narrative told by a lot of analysts and banks, uh, at some point you've got to come in and hedge that, especially if you can get these kind of seemingly illogical moves downwards like uh, we have uh, in the last few months. So what that translates to is quite consistent producer selling. We have seen the evidence of it, a fair amount of it. Uh, in the futures, but equally looking at the oil swaps, uh, it seems like pretty much the only real significant flow is on the hedging side, um, which makes a lot of sense. You know, if you don't have a lot of uh, conviction in the speculative side of things, if the exchange restrictions have put you in a position where you cannot speculate, then you're only really going to hedge, uh, or sorry, the only thing left you've got to do when you're trading is to hedge and probably hedge with conviction, because in markets like this, you don't want to be caught one way or the other. So uh, what we've been seeing is higher conviction hedging, we should put it like that, um, and that has kind of dictated price movement. So what that leaves us with is a situation of kind of speculative versus producer uh, flow. And um, in a nutshell, you know, the, the end users hedging who would be buy side, their volume just evidently is being absorbed quite considerably by producer selling on uh, from yeah, sorry selling the futures from producer hedging. So in order to absorb that producer hedging, uh, you need to make up the balance by speculative flow. And if the commitment's not there, 
then just simply speaking, that hedging flow should overwhelm the buy side. Now that's kind of been our view, a house view at Onyx for, for quite some time, but I certainly think the evidence of that is, is quite clear now, even as we go into a situation that's very shaky from a geopolitical stance, uh, but also you know, markets are still underlying strong. So it's, it's confusing in a way, and I think um, that's probably the key takeaway. You know, speaking with the systematic traders we speak to, speaking to all trading participants, it's interesting to see uh, the difference because you know systematic traders are more looking at flow indications, uh, just arbitrary, well not arbitrary, what clear kind of market signals that might seem arbitrary to, to other traders, uh, but seem to govern price action. And they aren't as susceptible to kind of market bias and market narratives. They are just following the automated signals. And I think they are doing very well, able to chop and change uh, between the trends. Trends, However, you know, most if not all kind of significant oil traders and majors were expecting to this to be the bullish event of their lives. And to some extent, that was the case uh, until we got such a considerable um, retracement. So unfortunately, what that means, unfortunate for the oil market, it means that there's probably quite a few people who have lost out. And that's never a good thing because if there's less people who have made money in the market or are doing well, then natural human behavior, they're going to be less active. Uh, one of like a key indications we see is more activity tends to mean you know a healthy market. You've got a good grip of what's going on um, and therefore very active and looking to do as much as they can. And kind of it's almost exactly true on the opposite. When people aren't sure what's going to happen, you know, and there is some degree still hedging flow to be done. Either way, you get a kind of very low activity market. And it's almost like a virtuous cycle, you know, that the more that there's less, the more there's uncertainty, uh, the less decisions people make, and the more uncertainty there is in the market, because what's governing the market is seemingly illogical. And it goes back to, you know, flows are what drives markets, not just the headlines themselves, as people reacting to these flows. So that's, generally speaking, a fairly decent summary of what's happening in the top line uh, oil market. But at the next layer, we have um, some more nuanced things going on. So for instance, uh, the Chinese lockdowns um, was uh, recent, well, blamed for some of the recent sell-offs in more of the underlying structure. So Chinese lockdowns, again, when you see, when you see a price movement in the outright crude futures, and it's whatever happens up or down, you know, very frequently you see a headline come out that tries to, or a news article that tries to link some kind of headline to that move. So initially it seemed like it was very convenient to say the price is moving down because of Chinese lockdowns. Um, certainly to react so quickly was, I don't think, uh, correct in some ways. But it does turn out that the incremental loss of demand in China did follow through quite heavily into underlying markets, and particularly so in the North Sea market, which is very important because ultimately it prices the Brent time spreads, prices the Brent futures on expiry. So ultimately, this is where things are settled for most of the crude in the world. So now that the lack of demand seems to have actually followed through into Chinese trading behavior, we've seen the North Sea market under considerable pressure. So I think from the one hand, you know, the sell-off in Brent time spreads and dated Brent differentials has been correlated with the sell-offs in the outright crude futures. I actually think that uh, the Chinese 
on the sell side of a lot of North Sea contracts very much spooked the market because you know, Chinese are meant to be one of the main buyers, especially in this environment where not so long ago the government was saying, well, China should, um, sorry, Chinese trading companies secure commodities at all costs. So it's a, it's a pretty abrupt change to suddenly be, see Chinese trade houses and, and their majors coming in on the sell side of dated Brent, offering cargoes into the market, uh, you know, quite aggressively sell-side hedging or sell-side speculating. So um, I think that did cause this knock-on effect combined with the lack of liquidity and the outright price sell-off. That has led to us in a, in a market that it's amazing. I'm looking at the numbers um, of the North Sea and the Brent time spreads and you, I could think, oh, I'm in, 20, I'm in 2018, 2019, I'm in, I'm in any normal kind of market in the last five, 10 years, you know, minus 40 cents on the May DFL. That's a very kind of middle of the range price. How did we get here in three weeks, in the middle of a war? And I mean, that's, that's just the way markets are. So if you have a look at everything and how things are priced, it is, it is as close as to return to normal as I think we could, we could really have expected. So it's, it's, a very, it's a very unusual thing to happen, I think, when there's so much... Um, when there's so much hype going on in the world, but it probably does emphasize how so much of trading and where things are ultimately priced is essentially the narrative and what people want to believe. So some part of that is essentially maybe even people getting bored. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you living on the edge of your seat, thinking headline after headline, you know, you're reacting minute by minute, and then it becomes hour by hour, then it becomes day by day. And lately, you know, the same information has been talked about, you know, week on week. And I think at some point you expect that to have been priced into the market. You know, that definition being, you know, people who are going to buy on the back of this being a bullish headline have bought. People who are going to sell have sold. So what's left? You're waiting for new information. So in the absence of anything new, I think it made sense for the market to kind of re, re-consolidate, well, consolidate Re, um, go back to the levels of, of, of what happened previously. But I've got to say, there's not a single person in the market who could have predicted that. I think there, is, there are a couple of savvy traders in the North Sea who very much are astute when it comes to taking the other side of um, an extended market. So when they can see that everyone is almost blindly getting long or, or short or whatever, one, one position... It's a great time to come in and basically take the other side. That's not, that's not a new thing in financial markets. Uh, but certainly the oil market tends to be more of a herd trading dynamic because everyone still believes very much in the power of the underlying supply and demand. And the physical trade houses and the majors, you know, they, they hold a lot of this pricing power for physical. So there tends to be people going all one way. But if it only takes a significant trade house to take one side of it to cause a kind of knock-on domino effect. So I think that's ultimately what we've seen. Um, and it's just, it's just crazy, though, because you know, some of the time spreads, $3.50 to $4, that seemed reasonable given we were in such an unbelievably unprecedented event. And they, they were all-time highs. But now suddenly we're 50 cents in the front, you know, 70 cents down the curve. It's, uh, it's, it's quite remarkable. But the good news is that with more... Uh, understood numbers, let's say, and less volatility to some degree, the market can kind of start to get busy again. Because ultimately, with the notional value of oil contracts being lower, 
it means that financing is that much cheaper and the volatility being lower, you'd hope at some stage the exchange will start to rein in some of the restrictions that they put in place last month, uh, although not for sure. And, but if they do, and if people get more comfortable with the current environment we have, then there's going to be more activity and we should see the open interest pick up uh, and, and go from there. The worry, though, is that actually we did see this at the beginning of the year. Uh, you know, once you do get this big sell-off and once you have a bit of a consolidation period, everyone's thinking the same thing. Like, shouldn't this be higher? You know, there's all this stuff going on. Um, and it just takes one kind of bit of confidence from one or two players to start committing. And then suddenly there's kind of a bit of a repeat of the mania. So I'm not saying that translates into people getting confident and getting long, but certainly those who need to buy for a hedge are suddenly panicking. They're reacting, you know, kind of irrationally. Or, and it, it would just, it has the risk still of being a market that is not orderly. And that is not something we want because that means that the exchanges to get involved, the regulators have to get involved and try and keep restrictions um, on this market. And that then ends up confusing people more. So for the state of the oil market, we want it to be in some respects orderly. And I hope, I hope we're there, but uh, let's see. So big ramble here, but the, um, the thing I also wanted to mention was, was two things. Firstly, you know, there's been some talk about the dated Brent contract changing um, lately, and there's been a lot of talk about it last year. And I know the temptation is to think that this is just dogged in technical detail and it's just overly complex. But I think what the market has proven this year is that the dated Brent market is, is what prices Brent, and it's hugely influential in terms of for price discovery, for everything from the physical to the paper market. So... We, it needs to be understood, at least to some degree. So even very sophisticated oil traders don't actually understand the North Sea or the dated Brent swap mechanisms. And I think that needs to change to some degree. I think there is increasingly more transparency and people are starting to appreciate the dynamics a bit more. But when we have this contract change, you know, some of the things that were proposed last year were such drastic changes that we would see a complete repricing of time spreads and, and you name it. And that has ramifications for everyone, every product trader who's, who's trading against crude, um, you know, people who are holding time spreads, you know, crack rolls and things like that. But then refiners even, how they calculate their refinery margin, that would completely change under what was initially proposed. And what's still being proposed now, albeit you know, new changes to be made after hearing industry feedback, um, is still gonna be quite significant. And so it is worth listening when things come out, when analysis comes out. The Oxford Institute for Energy Studies uh, released a statement and, uh, you know, got to read that. We ourselves are coming out with something soon. I think it's just worth for traders to, to pay attention, as seemingly uh, boring as it might be. But the last thing I wanted to talk about was, again, it may be overtalked to some degree, but the underlying financial system that underpins oil and, and commodities. You know, having done, having let the dust settle and talked to very different range of participants, there was kind of seemingly this cry that it was everything so unfair. Uh, and particularly with the nickel impact, how nickel just went limit up and they had to cancel the contracts. And there's a worry that was going to spill onto oil. People are talking about it being unfair on the, ex from, sorry, the exchange were being unfair and what they were doing. 
restricting some oil trade or at least increasing the cash that's required to be put down. But look, this is the reality, or this is at least how I see the reality. We are very lucky as oil trading participants to be trading the way we're trading in the first place. You know, there's a very low barrier to entry to what it was. We're able to trade, actively trade, uh, oil market derivatives without putting anything like the notional value of the contracts down. You know, if I look at Onyx's balance sheet, we trade thousands and thousands of contracts against each other. And whilst we have very little risk uh, overnight, you know, the balance sheet of what we actually hold is quite enormous if you look at it on a notional basis. A notional basis meaning the absolute price of each contract times by the volume. You know, it could be enormous. And certainly it's the same for you know, small, medium, even large trade houses. They all have this very straightforward and well understood access to the exchange to trade oil derivatives. And it's all done so on quite considerable leverage. So all the exchange are asking from you is to put enough cash down that uh, accommodates you know, volatility rather than the absolute value of the contract. So the fact that that exists in the first place is pretty amazing. It's, it's very good for allowing participants to get involved. And that's led to a huge amount of transparency because a lot more participants can get involved and take ownership of their price risk, more speculation, more price discovery. You know, it, it's made sure that the price of oil and oil contracts are not dictated by just a few number of participants. So that is a great, great, great thing. So when we talk about oh, this is so unfair, um, you know, look at all these restrictions, look what happened to Nickel, how could the LME have cancelled all these contracts? Well, the system was not built to sustain this much one-way speculation, right? At the end of the day, it was an unbelievably uh, unprecedented event. So it was so binary buy versus sell. Now, most of the time, if not the whole time up until now, these kind of um, environments, you have... Yes, very bullish markets, but generally speaking, there's still sell-side interest, and it's still orderly. So in other words, you have financial sellers and you have financial buyers, because without the two, how do you set the price? So the exchange is forced to calibrate certain things in extreme markets. And one example would be you know, the nickel scenario. If there's not enough uh, buyers, sorry, there's not enough sellers to accommodate all the buy orders, then the price just goes up to anywhere anywhere it can to get the sell side orders if they simply don't exist the exchange have to say something at some point look we've got to cap this it can't just go to infinity right we've got to say look the maximum amount is say an arbitrary or some kind of calculated percentage change uh, and then once that's agreed they can then kind of start again and hope that there's a the periods in between trading people can consolidate and think okay maybe we can attract more sellers here and get an orderly market going but in this kind of scenario anyone who had a sell order just wasn't selling in oil and, and commodities. Because why would you? You just wait because it's just so evidently bullish. So if every single person is trying to buy to hedge and, and no one is trying to sell, then it needs to go up. And then add on top of that, all these participants who, who are able to speculate with very low cash up front, they're just exacerbating these moves. The financial system cannot maintain that. So I think it's very reasonable indeed what LME did. And at the very least, we need to put kind of restrictions in these, extre- in these extreme scenarios to make sure the market remains orderly. So that's quite long-winded, but I think it needs to be said because certainly it's not unfair. I think it's very fair in the first place that we have great markets and it just can't be abused. So I think ultimately everything is working to some degree as it should. And I think if we can get through this in a fairly robust way, will continue to be able to grow and become more sophisticated in the oil market. If we don't, the 
scary thing for myself and probably others is that we will revert back to credit line trading, uh, ISDA type trading. And if you ever saw the big short, you know, that's what kept people like Brownfield Capital from speculating on or, or trying to take opportunity in the mortgage market. You know, you needed to get an ISDA agreement to be able to trade with banks, to be able to get exposure to these contracts. So that is terrible because it means only a small number of people with big balance sheets get to trade and get to set the price effectively, which cannot be good for democratizations of markets. Um, And I'll leave my ramble there. But um, next week and the week after, we're looking forward to introducing some more guests. We're going to be looking at the renewable side a bit more. But I would love to hear from you on LinkedIn. Some of you do reach out on LinkedIn or YouTube or, or wherever. Please let me know what you'd like to hear or like who you'd like, you'd like me to try and reach out to to have a conversation. Uh, I'm very interested in, in hearing that uh, going forward. But for now, thanks very much for listening and see you next week.